everybody. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Around the World in 80 Drinks podcast with me, Tom Sandham, and fellow thinking drinker, Ben McFarlane. This is a podcast that celebrates drink and drink all around the world. Uh, and at the moment, we're doing a mini-series called Le Pour de France, which cleverly links up Le Tour de France with uh, race stages and drinks that uh, seamlessly intertwine with the race route. It's, a, it's an extraordinary idea. No one's done it anything like it before. We are innovators in the world of podcasting. I think you could agree, Ben. Yeah. How are you, Ben? How are you today? Oh, well, I was still basking the glory of that jeu de mots, which is uh, French for wordplay. It's wonderful wordplay, wordplay, Paul de France. But I'm very well. Bonjour, Tom. Ça va? Oui, ça va, A2. Oui, ça va bien, merci. Uh, tu as quel âge? Oui, uh, je suis 13 ans. No, 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 that's wrong already. You, you, you don't say <laughs> I, I am 13. You say uh, j'ai 13 ans. I have 13. J'ai. I have 13. I yeah. have 13. <laughs> I have 13 years old. I have 13 years old. And I'm not old. releasing them. Don't tell the police. <laughs> well, I have 13 years old in the cellar. No. No, <laughs> okay. let's move on too much. Okay. I'm not All going right. through that. Carry on again. No. Um, Jay Trezon. Uh, now I know. Uh, thank you for the French lesson. But it was speaking French because of this whole Tour de France carry on, and uh, and what a what a few days it's been in the tour, listeners. If you're not, um, sorry, pod pod cats, pod pod bods. If you're not really um, watching the Tour de France, it's been amazing, hasn't it, Ben? It has it's been, been incredible. It's really phenomenal. kicked off. Yeah. Uh, the opening salvos were interesting, but the last few days. Shit's got real. For sure. Uh, yeah, we sure. were on stages seven, eight, and nine. That's what we're set covering. Neuf in French. Set, I'm set, the French. Oui. Set, set wheat neuf. And, um, and they've been really good. Actually, stage seven was um, supposed to be a bit of a, a, a slow, sort of, not slow, it was for the sprinters. So it was supposed to be got quite boring. It went from Milau or Milo to mm. Lavour or Lavour. Uh, depending on the French. <laughs> Both of those are wrong, but still, let's keep going. I'm correcting your French all the way through this. It's going to go on lights longer than it normally. Well, I consider it uh, a French lesson. Uh, I'd like to learn to speak the French language so that I can go and live there. Yeah. Uh, so, so it was meant to be like a bit of a chip through the flat sections, and then Bora Hansgrohe, the German team, came out and they just went full tilt. Um, and surprised everyone. And if you actually got some of the interviews after the the race on this stage, some of the riders were pretty cheesed off about it. Actually, they were like, "Why did that go so fast?" <laughs> so, you I have to me agree. The Germans <laughs> were making themselves unpopular on French soil again. <laughs> the <laughs> French as well. Fun. Interesting. They were sort of caught hiding at the back um, <laughs> with P P P reverse Pino. Yeah, he was in reverse gear. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. He couldn't keep up. My money uh, is done. My money's yeah. done. I put um, pod bods, I put stupidly put ten pounds on Pino, mainly because I want I thought that he might be able to um he can't have that much bad luck. It was about time he won something and his name shared 
um, with you know it's the same name as a, a type of wine, lots of types of wine, Pinot. Why? I mean, what and I thought surely <laughs> all all the stars would come together and I'd clean up. No, he's yet again having crashed at the beginning um, in the first stage, wasn't it? Or second stage? And he's yeah. Not, uh, he, they played down how much it hurts, but apparently he's been in agony and getting daily massages mm. uh, and a lot of discomfort. He's got he's got back knack. Yeah, uh, I mean, on stage eight, he sort of that was when he really popped. But on stage nine, he sort of made a temporary sort of yeah, too late, mate. Oh, well, maybe just... he's all right. But then no, no, he was right at the back again by the end of it. <laughs> I think he I accidentally think... found himself in one of the breakaway groups. I think he was just cycling along and looked around. Oh Sorry. shit! Oh uh, merde! <laughs> uh, <laughs> just sweet tres plus. <laughs> Jay Tresplas. Yes, we Trey Fatigue, it turns out. Yeah. I mean, he didn't really do enough of your homework. He has got form for being. Um, oh, I knew that he was a bit shit. <laughs> but everyone kept saying, like, oh, he's, you know, at his peak, he is capable of being mm. uh, a real contender. Not on his well, day. But he doesn't seem to have his days during any of the Grand Tours, which is a definite drawback if you're a Tour de France <laughs> <laughs> a bike rider. Yeah. If you want to win it, you've got to really yeah, I mean, do that's it the on the race. Yeah. So, uh, um, I've just changed my picture. For anyone who's listening to our podcast, um, you won't be able to see the pictures. We run a video of this, which we put through Facebook. It is available on YouTube if you seek it out there as well. But it's mostly for the purposes of Facebook. And uh, we have amusing pictures and vintage pictures of things like cyclists drinking booze, proving the integral link between the tour and alcohol. Uh, so both Ben and I put up different pictures of people drinking while on their bikes. Legends. But don't drink uh, and ride. Don't. We'll drink Too drink better. No. Uh, but stage nine was won by uh, a Van Art, a Wout Van Art, mm-hmm. who's a bit of a machine. He's a, a bit of an all-rounder, probably a future contender for the overall race. He races for Jumbo Visma, and um, and they really anyone on that team, if you'd put a tenner on, <laughs> you probably yeah. would have had a bit more yeah. chance. Well, hindsight's uh, great when it comes to betting, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so they did. They they were doing really. They started looking really strong, and then we went into the mountains, the Pyrenees, going uphill. Uh, ben and I uh, do sometimes cyclists. You can follow us on Strava to see how good we really are. Oh, and uh, going up hills is the shittest for sure. It's really uh, horrible. It's really horrible. Uh, so they started doing that, and um, and that's really when we expected the likes of Jumbo Visma and uh, Ineos Grenadiers, who are the British team. Uh, they Sir Dave Brailsford. Um, uh, we thought they would suddenly start going up in their packs and and dominate the race. But it turned out that actually even those packs started to drift away and we were left with just the GC contenders, the guys yeah. that might win the race. And it's really started to get very exciting. Um, yeah. Now, uh, the Slovenians, who we mentioned in one of the other rounds, the two Slovenians, Pogacar and Roglic, uh, they started to, to show themselves a bit. Pog, Pog, as he's known, um, he drops a load of time. Uh, in the previous, in, in this stage, well, I saw I saw that, and because he kept getting something wrong with his bike, he was just it wasn't because he was he kept sort of breaking down, and all the commentators were going, "What? Why is mm. why is his bike always getting knackered?" And he looked very relaxed about it. I mean, I'd be having an absolute fit. Um, it was punctures. 
Yeah, it's punctures. And he was getting them apparently because he keeps going in the side of the road, um, which is a problem that anyone on a bike going through London town or many urban yeah. city will know. Because if you go into the town, it's usually beer bottles and glass and that sort of thing that's knackering your tyres. Turns out even the greatest race on earth has similar problems. But do they not have those um, field... Now I'm showing my ignorance here. Listen to the cycling podcast for real searing cycling insight because I'm going to ask a really stupid question, which I hope people will forgive me for. But they um, have they not got those filled tires that don't get punched? no, they don't do full rubber. Apparently, those are those are quite they can slow you down quite a bit. Oh, I see. No, right. They still get punctures. They do tube, they do tubeless, but it's still there's still uh, air right. in there, so they can okay. still get their punctures. But Pog, he, he got he got done over on stage seven by the wind as well, and he and he missed the sort of big break. Uh, so he admitted he made a few sort of tactical errors. He's only twenty one, I should say. So you know, fair enough. Yeah, he's <laughs> pretty young. Um, but um, but yeah, it was the wind because of course the Mistral in this region uh, that we're going to be covering here down towards the. The Pyrenees. It's still sort of blowing across, isn't it, Ben? As a crosswind, it's quite, terrible. It's a terrible it thing is, for a bike rider. Uh, <laughs> as bad as hills. Going uphill in the wind um, <laughs> is is shit all round, uh, and it's pretty bad. I actually I found a picture of um, some trees from one of these stages, um, and you can see if you see the video what the wind does to the trees. Yeah, it essentially curves them completely over. Um, that gives you some idea of what the, the cyclists are going up against. Um, I also found a picture of this Ben, which you'll enjoy. Very funny, Johnny Fartpants. <laughs> Johnny Fartpants from Viz. Yeah, uh, because we were talking about wind in their face so much, and it just made me think of him. Um, that's Van Arts. That's him winning stage seven, and then on yep. stage nine. Pog really sort of came into his own because suddenly he went up a mountain very quick, and he got a load of the time that he lost in stage seven back. And everyone was just banging on about how amazing this guy is. But he didn't win that stage. Stage eight was won by Roglic, who's the mm-hmm. other uh, Slovenian, and who used to be a ski jumper. I know, I heard that. Um, yeah, he had a really nasty crash. And we'll put the link to the crash on, um, on, on the Facebook video post, because uh, it really is horrific. But, um, uh, and, and who doesn't like watching people crash <laughs> horrifically? I mean, I've, I don't watch a lot of ski jumping, but when I have... Main reason is not to see the grace with which they fly through the air. More, I just want to see some horrific bone-breaking <laughs> smashes. Because yeah. otherwise, it's really dull. Where's the drama? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, he was very. He had a bad this. one. He had a bad one. I don't think that. I, I think he still competed a little bit after that. But anyway, he started his rehabilitation on a bike, and he didn't really get into bike racing until I think he was twenty-one, the same age as. Pog is now, uh, and now he's uh, one of the best cyclists in the world. So he's um, right, yeah. little sport Billy, isn't he? He is. He's a bit of a machine. But they um, use the same muscles, aren't they? The the thigh muscles and the mm. leg muscles. I mean, I, again, if you want to, if you want to know about ski science. jumping, <laughs> listen to a ski jumping podcast. Although. I'd be very surprised if there's uh, many of them. But. Well, it, <laughs> You never know. Yeah. There'll be a skiing one. Yeah, um, they might do a, like a little side mm. ski. Anyway, um, yeah. 
Damn, so well, he's very easy. He's good at that. Well done him. And I think yeah, he's going to, I mean, I'm, again, I think he's probably going to win it. I'm thinking putting on my, the money I've lost on uh, Pino, I'm thinking mm. like any good gambler, chasing the money. <laughs> Doubling down. Twist. Doubling down Twist. on Pogacar. And I wish I'd Twist. done it earlier <laughs> because I think he he's very least top four. Um, yeah. My mate Matthew Dallet, who is into the tour as well, messaged me a few days ago before he won the stages going, I reckon Pocket Charles looking good. Mm. But no, he's miles behind. And then he went and won a stage. Yeah. Oh, well, he'd be I wearing the yellow shirt. Cause I, and then stage nine, he, he went again. Stage nine is perhaps one of the, if you are into sports, but you don't think there's much sport to be had watching the Tour de France, let us persuade you otherwise. Mm. Uh, stage nine was essentially some of the best sports I've seen on um, TV, on the TV for a long time it was incredible there's three hours of it and from the beginning it was just insane um they have something called the breakaway in this race so the the riders at the front try and break away from the rest of the peloton and get a bit of a lead to see if they can branch out on their own and win the race and they tried to break away from the peloton for about an hour going at something close to 60 kilometers an hour and they just the pedestal were just stretched into a long line and kept coming back like a really irritating piece of elastic a big bogey. it was just it was just a phlegmy stringy bogey just being sucked back up and uh, it was it was really just it's insane to watch they just kept going and then the swiss rather young swiss another youngster uh, Hershey, who we mentioned in one of our earlier pods, because Hershey squirts and um, reminded us of, of, of as the Pural reference. <clears throat> it was, but also this stage runs from Po to La Runs. I don't know think of the Runs. Yeah. I think in <laughs> Spanish it's La Runs. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure it's not the Runs. It's not the Runs. <laughs> and uh, but Hershey went off on his own, and there were two fairly significant mountains in our in our eyes maybe not the highest classification of climbs for the tour and he just did what we describe as a time trial over it didn't he he just mm. just went for oh. speed over two mountains it was crazy but then uh, i think the most impressive thing because he got a, he went over the top of the second one and the 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 chasing pack were were really bearing down on him and then he went down the descent, he descended. And normally, I didn't realise this, but on French television, there was a while, you know, in previous tours, that's when they cut to the adverts, because it's like, well, mm. let's mm. go downhill, this isn't the most interesting thing. Which I think is insane, because that's the bit I like watching. Um, and he was amazing. The descent, I mean, I'd say borderline insane, what he was doing. Yeah. <clears throat> um, he didn't hold up, and... Uh... And they and he gained time on them. The whole thing was remarkable. You only have to know a little bit about it and do a little bit of reading up on who everyone is to, to get the most out of it. And it was just crazy because then going back to that the team situation, you suddenly out, out of that descent, you had four riders who were the kind of the main GC contenders chasing Hershey down, and they rode as a team themselves, just taking over each other on the front of the, mm, the ride so that they could yeah. get there quicker. And suddenly it was it was just one k left, and Hershey was looking over his shoulder, and they were just going to catch him. And so he slowed down so he could sprint with them, which in itself was so, remarkable. So, so normally, what happens 
uh, is if you if you if you do a solo breakaway and you get caught, the general if there's a long way to go, you just think fuck it, I'm just gonna take it easy now. I'll try, then I, I failed. Mm. Um, but I gave it a go, maybe picked up some points. But he just went right. I'm just gonna tuck in behind these guys, and then because they only had like two k left, and then mm. did you see he does this thing where he leans down and uh, he does up his straps on his shoes. Yeah, it tightens the tight, tight. as well, those physics yeah. circle things. It tightens them up, which was his way of saying, right, I'm getting ready for the sprint. Yeah. And uh, he went Look, I mean, He did. And and for those who didn't watch, I'm afraid it wasn't a happy ending. No. Uh, well, like a lot of young men, and I'm speaking from fast experience here, he went too early. He went and far too was, early. And there was, was underwhelmed. no happy finish. <laughs> He came third. Was it normally, actually, I do. The analogy breaks down because he didn't come first. Uh, no, I would always come first. Yeah. Still do. I'm, I'm very proud of that 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 record that I have in racing. <laughs> um, unbeaten. Who's that? Unbeaten. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> in twelve years of marriage, still in, unbeaten. The number of times I've jumped off the bed and. Thumbed the back of my shirt to say, <laughs> "Oh yeah, oh, in your that. face, in your face." Sometimes, oh. <laughs> and you put the little L on the fa- on their face. Yeah. Oh, um, anyway, it was gutting because he got he, um, he came third. In fact, oh, I, I mean, I was on my feet. I was shouting at the television for him to win, and I and such is my naivety when it comes to competitive sports i did actually think those two slovenians because it was the slovenians mm. won the won the stage proving he really is in contention and, and rog came second but done, i but... did i i thought you bastards why didn't you let him win it's really tight come on where's the honor uh, but of course that's not how people think when no, they're no, no. Competitive it's sports. Like they're professional sportsmen yeah. no um, a quick word for um, Yates as well, because Yates lost the yellow jersey on that stage. Now, uh, Adam, Adam Yates and Simon Yates are two twin brothers who, who, who've been good at bike riding for a long time. Uh, and his brother is actually doing a, a different race. He's not in the Tour de France, but no one gave Yates a chance of winning anything really apart from a few stages potentially he's been wearing yellow for a few few days which is brilliant stuff he should have been on the front page of one of the sports sections at some point over the weekend mm. instead of ben bellends bellend footballers now yeah. we love football and ben and i, I love football we've, we've, we've been football reporters in our time we've yes. written for ben wrote for the guardian i wrote for a press association did match reporting and we love football, we do, but um, looking at a fullback who got sent off against Iceland and then a couple of utter bells who took um, a couple of girls back to the hotel and broke Are they, the, are they uh, bellends? I'd say that. I mean, I know it's very bad given the current COVID situation, but they were described as Icelandic beauty queens. No, Don't it's bang out of order. What am I talking about? Don't get They're me on wrong. In the duty. I, I yeah, mean, I mean, yeah, one of them's got a p- partner with a kid, I think. Um, oh, really? Oh, I didn't <laughs> yeah, know that. I think so. I mean, don't, obviously, don't sue us if I'm wrong. No, but uh, but no, I mean, it was just it, it's more the fact that these lads, these lads, <laughs> that's why dad's gone to Iceland. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is it? Oh, <laughs> to get some more, to get some more uh, sausage. Back. 
Frozen Frozen Tank. Frozen (laughs) Tank. Anyway, these guys are staying in budget hotels uh, and they're not allowed to see... The Tour de France guys, yeah. Yeah, the Tour de France guys, they're doing everything they have to to get this race done. And uh, and you know, it's got a couple of idiot footballers. You go over there and yeah. and do something like that. So why Yates is not on the front pages of the sports sections when he, he's you know one of the most impressive British sporting achievements of the weekend is beyond me, Ben. I know. Um, well, I think um, I think England could do what Britain could do with uh, a version of L'Equipe, and L'Equipe mm. is the French daily French mm. sports newspaper. And it's great if you're learning French because it's all wordplay, uh, which is it's worth because you can. It's a really good map newspaper if you just want to improve your reading French to get because there's low, you know basically what's going on because there's pictures, <laughs> and then you can use it like tinting. It's like tinting and asterisks, yeah. Um, but also there's loads of wordplay. But they also they L'Equipe were um, was it Lotto? Was mm. the that that it was it used to be called Lotto, and that's the newspaper that launched the Tour de France. Mm. So they keep you can actually get it here a day later. So if you want to follow the tour and improve your French, then get it. And but I what think England, Britain, could, I think Britain could do with a version of that because because real sports, all round sports fans would buy that, and mm. Yates would be on 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 the front of that. He would. So um, maybe that's something we should launch. <clears throat> Another one of our COVID Another ideas. Idea. We've got loads. <laughs> Yeah, we along with shower blinds and dog nappies and yeah. all the other shit we've got to do. Uh, so anyway, our, our right. big up to Yates. He's dropped the je- yellow jersey. Probably won't get it back again. No. Um, so what a loser. Yeah. <laughs> no. I told I you. I think now, <laughs> now, we, now he's got a chance to win some stages. So it's really, it's, the race is very, very good. They had a rest day after that. Uh, so we'll pick it up again. Now uh, on stage ten. Well, this is the. I mean, I, we're recording this on what day is it? Tuesday, um, mm. and they use the rest day and today to do lots of testing. So everyone's think, crossing their fingers that um, not too many or no one, but not ideally no one, that not too many people prove positive because mm. then the tour could actually be cancelled. So, um, and actually, if you look, if you looked at all those. During the climbs, the crowd were getting very, very close, and they were all wearing masks. Well, most of them were, but they were just shouting in the faces of the riders, which, given what's been going on, seems a little bit daft. Um, this is there's yeah, nothing that people I, can do about that. Um, no, so it'll be a shame because all these riders have sacrificed quite a lot. But anyway, let's. Um, I think we've uh, covered we've covered the, the, uh, the moral I mean, questions and the uh, yeah. sporting questions there. Let's um, move into our region. So the region yeah. we're into, uh, well, uh, we've talked to, we've talked a bit about the Pyrenees. So we're covering that Pyrenees region. Uh, Gascony, I suppose we could just call, yes. call it that, is a, a region which always make, evokes idea of food and drink. Yeah. Um, yeah and it's quite famous for its, for its food and drink. Uh, it's got a little microclimate going on down there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it gives rise to some decent wines and some good farming so um so we've got plenty going on in terms of the food the race on stage seven went within smelling distance of a roquefort-sur-souzon so roquefort okay um, that is a good cheese very fancy cheese i like it with um endive okay or walnuts and or jacob's and crackers no yeah i'll throw some crackers in if you want um 
but you know that you can have a starter, a cheese, a cheese for a start, and then I'd have it for pudding as well. After yeah, pudding. It, after pudding. The well, the French, don't the French do the cheese, then the oh. dessert, don't they? Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Now I'm getting mixed up. Yeah. Well, anyway, mm. I'd, I'd have cheese. I eat it all the time. <laughs> I'd eat it for breakfast. I love it. I love it. Beginning, middle and end. Um, <laughs> but rock for endive and you know that, you know that start you can get, that's love, that's good gear. I love pumpkin uh, Yeah. It was, it has to spend five months in caves in the south of France. So mm. it's, uh, and it's high in fat and salt content, but apparently also has some health benefits. Really? Uh, it's, I don't know if this is true, but there's some sort of anti-inflammatory property within it. Um, but yes, goes really well with big reds. Yeah. Uh, red wines. The other cheese from this region mm-hmm. um, is Aligo uh, cheese dish, which I've not, I've not tried specifically, but... Uh, it seems to have a lot in, in tune with um, fondue. Apparently, they melt the cheese and they have mashed potato oh. and crushed garlic, and no, it's a that's... sort of creamy, sort of uh, elastic cheese. Doesn't does it, Aligo? Um, but it, it's a big thing from the uh, Le, Le, Le Brac region down here. Um, so I just discovered this. I didn't know about this one, but that looks nice. That is cheese. You know, sort of more of a liquid form with potato. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cheese and good. potato. Oh. Now, I can't remember one of the pods I've mentioned this before. Did I tell you about the um, macaroni cheese I had in Gascony? <laughs> you did, yeah. Shit, man. Um, <laughs> Talking of your bedroom antics. No, it was really prowess. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was cheese bad. With maggots. Um, oh. Apparently, it's a debt, it's, a, it's a, um, a delice, and it's a speciality where they. The, the cheese is so alive. It's starting, you know, that cheese that starts to sort of weep. Oh. And then you get the maggots in there. And I was just, I didn't realise it had the maggots in there and I was eating away and so was Sophie, my, oh. my wife. Oh. And then uh, we ate it and then looked down and it was moving around and we'd eaten oh, I bet it was. half of it. <laughs> it was so anyway, half a bottle of wine and it was apparently moving very normal, typical. We rang up an actual French person, mm. a man called Laurent. And he laughed mm. and said, yes, it's supposed to do that. Stop. Mm-hmm. Go away. Stop bothering me. Okay. So that's Disgusting. Disgusting. If there's maggots in your, like, Vashki Ri or something, <coughs> that's not good. Mm. Um, that's the rock four in the cave, yeah. just because I found a picture of that, which well doesn't look maggoty at all. No. Um, and also I found a picture of a pig, uh, just because... Why is that? Pigs are funny. But also, the region, as we go through the Pyrenees and we're getting more towards the Atlantic... We're getting towards uh, the Basque region. So we're starting to see some influences that are shared with this part of France and part of, um, of Spain. And one of them is, um, is this jambon noir de bigorre, which is a cured ham um, made from purebred Gascon noir pigs. Um, and, and they also have uh, a pepper, a chili pepper that, that grows down here, which is quite famous, apparently. Um, piment despelt. I'm not going to well, try. No, you're not going to, are you? No, I've given up halfway <laughs> through that. It's a chili, though, uh, in the Pyrenees Atlantic region. So uh, check this out because they have a, fe- a festival every year. About 20,000 people come to this chili festival. Uh, it's a big tourist attraction. And you start to they use this in the curing of some of the meats. So we're seeing that that link to the Spanish and the French 
cuisine there. And look, I've got a picture of the festival there that 20,000 people attend. <laughs> what a fucking laugh that looks like. <laughs> it looks like, who are those guys out? Who's that family in, um, uh, oh, are they the Tomblyboos out of, um, out of, in the Night Garden. Do you remember that family? Yeah. Yeah. They've got loads of chilies in front of them. They look fairly bored they've got, considering they've they're got about to say to i love a french boring. i love a french festival or fair, like a village they often do those sort of local uh festivals uh, that focus on the local cuisine mm. when they photograph it it invariably looks shit it does doesn't it it's, it, it never does it justice because it's all quite formal and they all wear formal get up mm. um, and, Apart uh, from the, uh, the 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 festival of flowers that we referenced in one of them, where all the women are wearing bikinis and things, I found a couple better, of pictures of that. that was yeah, uh, and down in Menton, yeah, down in Menton, there's a festival of lemons, which apparently has like a hundred thousand people come to that one, and they they have really weird floats with lemons on. But this one in particular does look a bit drab. Anyway. Yeah. The, the peppers are supposed to be very tasty and very good for curing meat. So, so that's the food. But we were in the Midi Pyrenees, really, going through, through mm-hmm. this region. So for us, that brings us to the drinks and Armagnac, really. This region is yep. all about Armagnac. Um, before we go into the Armagnac, which is the big drink of our podcast today, mm-hmm. <clears throat> a quick word, because stage eight... Um, in Cazares, 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 um, it took us closest to the AOP of Cremant de Limoux. Yeah, and this stuff. is a very, very good sparkling wine. Now, the region, wine historians say that this region where the Cremant de Limoux is made is near somewhere called Saint Hilaire. Hilaire. Oh, Hilaire. Um, and the monks there in 1531 were making Blanquette de Limo, which is related to this, this has slightly different grapes. And apparently this is the first evidence of sparkling wine being produced in France. So, yeah, so it's quite a That was preceded, but do you know, um, the Brits were doing it first. We were doing it with cider, apparently. <clears throat> We were the first to do sparkly stuff. Okay, I'm opening it now. Hang on. Go on then. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Look at a lovely bit of smoke on that, Tom. <laughs> Get any head? Two fingers? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Two fingers ahead. Very good. Two fingers ahead. Good head. Yeah. Uh, Stop it. Okay, wait a minute. Hold on. Right. I'm pouring it into a it's got more sparkle than mine. Mine's all gone, gone a bit... I, I opened mine earlier and it's a bit... hasn't got quite oh, effervescence that. Let's, let's just focus on yours because I've got a lovely... I've got a lovely glassware though. Mm, that's quite soft. Yum, yum. It's yum, soft. yum. Yeah, it's, it's, it definitely qualifies as yum, yum. Mm. Um, it's quite... Bracing, Tom. It's quite vivacious. It's mm. it's got zing. It's got pizzazz. It's got a whiz bang to it. It um, has. It's seventy percent Chardonnay. Do you know that? I did. And then it's got a bit of the Chenin Chenin Blanc. Blanc. It's fifteen percent of Chenin Blanc. Yeah. And it's got Muzak, which is a grape that's um, 
that the, the Blanquette de Limo doesn't use, I believe. So that's what mm. sets this slightly apart. Um, but this has been provided by uh, and bottled by Berry Brothers and Rudd again. And Berry Brothers and Rudd provided our rosé in the first pod to go back. Mm. Into Britain's the, oldest rose. wine merchant. I really are. They had a real deal uh, down in St James's in, in, in London. So um, mm. you go online to Berry Brothers and Rudd to check this out. I think that is a, is a fantastic alternative oh, it's good. to champagne. And there's just a bit more of a story to it. With that history of 1531 and the monks, um, there's quite a nice link to, to a heritage that I didn't really know much about before mm. I became a wine uh, expert, but, yeah, and, I mean. an unofficial master of wine. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it's still family-owned. The exam's a formality, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't need to do it. I know, I know. No. Uh, you don't need pieces these, of paper like that. It's just a piece of paper. Just Probably. people with... with um, issues regarding mm. their their worth. I think um, mm. I don't need it. Don't need other people's right, endorsement. No. I know I'm an expert. I'm an expert. Exactly. Um, so this is made by Francois Antec. He's a sixth uh, generation uh, of a family that's been making these lovely wines in this region, and um, and the grapes in the region are dealing with the Mediterranean and the Atlantic. So apparently the the the, the two sort of climates provide a perfect condition for slow ripening of the white grapes. And so um, with those two climates coming together, yeah. what are the meteorological conditions in which the uh, grapes grow with regards specifically, Tom, to day, night, hot, cold? Yeah, so this is something we're probably going to try and explore on a later pod with our friend Lucy Verasami, who is a mm. meteorological expert and does the yeah. ITV weather show, who mm. Ben and I uh, both know well. And yeah. uh, Lucy has offered to come onto a podcast at some point yeah. just to further hone our meteorological expertise when it comes to the mm. vineyards and what happens. So what happens in this region is, yeah. is during the day, yeah, it's it's quite warm, and then at night. Okay, so it's warm gardens. during the day again, yeah. Yeah, and then that, the night. was that due to the um, due to the, the, the well, the sun, the, the sun mainly, yeah, the yeah. So the sun shines, mm, it's up. warm. Yeah. We should come up with some sort of sun shines, it's warm. Yeah, sun sleeps, it's cold. cold. Moon out, it's cold. Sun shines, it's warm. Moon. We'll work out some sort of clever okay. rhyme, maybe. Sun. to help us remember it because it's pretty tricky it's all different yeah. every time isn't it um so yeah warm in the day cold at night so that's why the grapes grow and the grapes grow and they ripen and when they're ripe they pick them and then they crush them and get juice out of them add a bit of uh, yeast and just leave it there and it turns into wine sounds really fun i've different. heard as well historically that if you let just uh, like uh, captain caveman and all his people Mm. What they did was they just put grapes. They left some grapes in a like a stone pot, and then the yeast in the air fermented them over time, and it turned into wine. So I mean, you could argue, and I'm not saying this because how would there be this whole culture of wine connoisseurship mm. if, if if it was this simple at Tom? But if you just left wines and grapes in a bucket, it would eventually turn into wine. There's a chance. There's a chance. I'm not saying it'd be good wine, but... No. Well, it wouldn't be this wine, to be fair. No, 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 they uh, do. Francois and Tech and his crew, they they know a little bit more about... Oh, yeah, I'm not saying... Frankie, 
I'm making. Uh, they seem to know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I reckon um, as I'm going to give that my full endorsement as a leading UK wine expert. As wine writer for Spectator, uh, mm. Telegraph, <clears throat> and other titles, uh, soon to be seen on television as wine yeah. experts. Uh, I'd say that is, you should get some Cremant de Limo instead of champagne. Bring that around to someone's house and they will be rather, yeah. rather pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Uh, because I think, you know, in this, in this day and age, part of what we're trying to do is widen, broaden those booze horizons. Awesome. And um, and and offer people something slightly different. Yeah, um, I was just having a quick look, Ben, for the price of that. Oh, it's only about fourteen quid. Is it say, really? Again, say it starts at fourteen, thirteen pound ninety-five. Say really? Like I said, in France, that's known as un bargain. Bargain. Okay. That's what well, they say. I'm, yeah, I'm very impressed with that. Well done then. Uh, but we are in a region that's particularly famous for its Armagnac. Yes. Um, we're a very we're a very short drive from these stages up to some of the. In fact, uh, the, the Armagnac I've got. We'll talk about them in a sec. Oh, but the Rose yeah. uh, is about 20 minutes up the road from the race start at stage eight, Casia sur Garonne. Mm-hmm. So we really are. It's a legitimate tasting this Armagnac, yeah. isn't it? Now we were due, we were due to be there, weren't we, Ben? Which is a bit disappointing. Yeah, we were supposed to be going now, but um, because those French just, just I mean, filthy. <laughs> oh, just can't stand. Can't just stop kissing stop each other. Kissing each other. Stop hugging each other. Too affectionate. Just, yeah, maintain some distance. Um, anyway, I've got. Um, um, Baron de Sigognac, ten-year-old, um, and I put it. I lost the top for it a few months right. ago, so I, I put it in a decanter, as you can see. Mm. And this is a ten-year-old, and this is a good gear. Now Armagnac, we love this stuff, don't we, Tom? We do love this stuff. I think. Uh, I think in recent. No, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be in any way negative about Armagnac because it's one of the. Not because I faith in. <clears throat> no, it needs lots of love. I, and I, I think it's one of those categories that's uh, that's relatively undiscovered in this country, and we need to discover it because it's flipping brilliant. Yeah, uh, it has become quite fashionable within the sort of top tier of the drinks industry. Yeah, yeah, it's People a bit like, like us. Everyone say I I prefer it to cognac, um, and uh, all I'd say is it's very different to cognac, and it deserves. It's almost like you're talking about a blended whiskey and a single malt whiskey. You know, it's sort of. There's a, there's a, there's a, uh, the cognac is probably the more refined end of great brand. Oh yeah. 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 This, but then for the cognac industry, you say this is a bit more rustique is a kind of a bit patronizing. It's very individual and it's I'll a lot more based. Oh, I think that's probably fair enough. I think that. Well, it's I based mean, on terroir, but you can get very refined as I'm going to talk about this stuff, the Darrow yeah. stuff, extraordinarily yeah. refined. <laughs> Armagnac. I mean, well, it's the French. It's it's the it's the it's so, the French brandy that a lot of the French drink because do you only um, just two and a half percent of the cognac production um, uh, consumed worldwide is done so in France, while around half of all the Armagnac sold every year is is enjoyed abroad. So a lot of Armagnac is drunk by the French, which is a good sign. Um, it is. 
um, and they and they seem to, to like when I was on holiday with the, with the, with the Frenchies and I opened a bottle of Armagnac, I was quite surprised they didn't really know much about it. Um, mm. But it's um, I mean it really is the spirit of of, of Gascony. It's sort of it's less ostentatious than cognac in terms of imagery. It's older, dates back to fourteen eleven, I think. I think. Well, this is um, one of the reasons we we wanted to go out there because I need to sort of really hone my uh, history knowledge on it as well. Because um, when I was talking to, do you remember Nicholas Faith? Because he's a, he's a oh yeah, he's predominantly a cognac writer, but sadly no longer with us. But he was one of the he's a good guy. And um, uh, and yeah, check out his books if you're into brandy because he's written some extraordinary books on it. But actually, we were discussing. I think you can date it back to the 1300s actually um, now. And I'd like to go back there and talk to the producers about exactly when they. The, the oldest records um but either way it predates they reckon cognac by it could be as much as 200 years so yes you're right ben it's, it's like if you go to cognac there's kind of the, there's a lot of the maisons that produce all the cognac they're quite manicured whereas you go to armagnac and it's a bit more ramshackle a bit more rural a bit more rustic mm. um and that's mainly because a lot of armagnac it's sort of remained in the slightly, dare I say it, disorganised or more relaxed hands of, of more than 800 wine growers, you know, mm. grape growers in, in the vineyards. So most of, where's cognac, the cognac houses, um, or cognac's in the hands of quite a, a few very big houses. Armagnac's made up of smaller growers, each of which boast no more than a few hectares of vines. Um, mm. And and none of them, well, very few of them own their own still um, to, 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 to distill the the, the um, to, to distill the wines in, into Armagnac. So every autumn, late autumn, as this um, and it's beautiful. We we've done it. There's this thing called La Flamme, whereas just as the sort of the tr- the, uh, the trees are turning and it's beautiful, sort of amber and gold and um, they do this thing called La Flamme where they, they, um, they, they take these tall copper stills from farm to farm and fire them up in local, in, in the local village and everyone brings their, their wines and they distill them within, in the sort of village square quite often with, um, uh, a sort of roaring flame underneath, underneath it. And everyone gets totally shit faced and eats foie gras and eats duck. It's basically, I spent a week there and it's just gout central Christ. Um, but it is, there's very, very sort of, it's very, very rustic. Uh, it's fiercely individual, wicked, totally French. If yeah. you, I mean, it is properly French. And I've got a pic, that picture behind me is of a, of a, a man driving a tractor, dragging along a still. Um, um, and it's, it's just, it's, it's one of those drinks that when you're there you think this is the best thing ever (laughs) like many things yeah like uh, like some of the weird spiced rums i've had in caribbean markets thinking yes this is is amazing extraordinary but then you get home and drink it and think so it's not quite the same when it's shedding it down a rain in harbour but this it's one of the reasons they've managed to retain so much french quality and individuality is because of the region where it is it never had the uh, mm. the international links and cognac is 
is more international because it was set up by international yeah. producers. And he was so close Richard Hennessy, he was Irish, Thomas Hoffman, <coughs> Jean like Martel, he came from, uh, from the Channel Islands. So they all came into that region with bigger ambitions and they were exporting in the 1700s, whereas as it, it took them to the 19th century for the, for the Armagnac guys to get it out there. So it's never really had an international appeal and that I think no. that's allowed them to retain uh, a lot of their, their um, traditional methods. And, and one of the reasons it tastes different is because it's made differently. It's, it's, um, it's only distilled once versus yeah. cognacs distilled twice. And so as a result, you, you get a lot more of the, uh, the flavor compounds. We call them congeners. And these are the aroma and uh, flavor chemicals in, in our spirit that carry a lot of that heavier. They stay in there because it's only been distilled once on a column still, but it, it hasn't stripped out some of the other flavor compounds. So as a result, it is a more robust spirit. Yeah, um, I think it's a bit like, I think Armagnac is to cognac. Is it as mezcal is to tequila? Could you say that? It's a bit wanky. Oh, you say could that. say that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what we've seen from mezcal is, I mean, that really is the most <laughs> rustic. <laughs> Fucking fine, isn't it? <laughs> that's, that's dangerously rustic, but brilliant. <laughs> that's brilliantly rustic. Too hard to say. I find that's the last great bastion of spirits <laughs> production is is mezcal. We're getting get, getting great mezcals here, but if you go over and see yeah. how it's made, it's still. The, dis, the yeah, disconnect lose. between how that's made and drinking drinking yeah, it for 50 I mean, quid a shot in a high-end bar is, is extraordinary. You'll Blimey, get a lot of hipster respect, but you'd also lose your eyesight. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Armagnac, is, there, is some, there is a refinement to it. I mean, it's aged very carefully mm -hmm. uh, and, and in great wood, and they, and they do know what they're doing down there. They've been doing it for hundreds of years. So there is still, in the world of spirits, a lot of refined technique. Uh, especially when we talk about <clears throat> the Bass Armagnac region and Duros, uh, and the, the, the team at Duros go around the region and try and find little pockets of eau de vies that have been uh, that, that are particularly good, great tasting, and then they age them very carefully. And if you if you go to the Duros, if you check it out on the Whiskey Exchange, they've got. Um, well, I'm drinking as a 12 year old, but they go all the way up to 60 years old. Uh, so you can really delve into those different age expressions and see what the barrel aging does and a bit like cognac it's that maturation process that's where they really take a lot of care over yeah so we're describing it as rustic and um and quirky and it is but it's yeah, but still it's not it's not like it's disorganized it's not kind of no there are, I mean, there are three distinct regions of armagnac there's bar armagnac armagnac tenarese and Oud Armagnac, and the top, yeah. the, the top notch stuff comes from the first two Baz Armagnac and Armagnac Tenarese. Um, Baz Armagnac has sort of lovely sandy clay soils, and they look, they produce kind of fruity, light, delicate Armagnacs. And then you've got the more rounded, rich, and full bodied Armagnacs comes from Tenarese. And then Oud Armagnac still does some great gear, but it also does some, you know, some really good Cote de Gascoigne wines. I'll come back to the Armagnac, but hang on. I just want to show you this. Yeah. Can you see that? Mm. See that? That's from a bag in a box. My bag in a box I bought back from holiday. Mm. And it's Gascoigne Domaine Rouge. That's a, I say, again, a bargain. Uh, and I've just got, and there is the bag from the box. And I, I'm not sure whether I can get any more out of this. But I tell what's, you what. the, what's the name, what's the brand, Ben? Well, I'll tell you. 
Actually, be interesting to see how much it costs if you can get it. It's called uh, it's Gascoigne Domaine Rouge Le Domaine. So, you know, I think it's the part. It's Trois Domaines. <laughs> Don't know. It, it's it's worryingly vague about its origin. <laughs> yeah. um, hang on, hang on. Let me just see if didn't I didn't make it into your around. Telegraph writer. No, 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 no. No, no, no. I mean, I uh, could have. I, I mean, I've pasted all the bag in the box. Um, oh no, see there's none left. Oh, oh there is a bit, I've tripped it out. Hang on, hang on. And I can tell you, because I've drank 10 litres of this, it's very mild. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, so Cote de Gascoigne yeah. wines are, again, very good everyday, easy drinking wines. Very mm. good value. Um, well, we th I mean, this whole, this whole t three stages of the tour, we didn't really talk about the long dock. Uh, no. Which is not a million miles away from Milo, Milau, um, or Aviron. Aviron. Um, so they've got uh, Pic Paul de Pinay in that yeah. region, oh, which you can also yeah. dip into. Uh, Ma Ma Maury, again, my French pronunciation, but that's French appellation is located, located in Roussillon, um, and they produce uh, Vin du Naturel which is a fortified wine style. So you've got that going on, which we haven't tasted today. The Midi to Pyrenees, you talk about your one. They've got five different AOC, Appalachian Adorigine Controle uh, wines. So um, so there's a loads of wine stuff going on here as well, which like you say, we're not really touching on because we're banging on about Armagnac. No, no, but also, yeah, I've been to us. the Fitu uh, vineyards. It's a while ago and there's a, a wonderful woman called Katie Jones who's out there who's doing um has been making lovely wines out there for ages um uh, quite sort of adventurous wines and that that Longodon Rousseau area is amazing we build about mm. on um quad bikes in the vineyards and uh lovely. and uh eight bore it's proper obelix um asterix and mm. obelix kind of territory um and they make some they make some really good re they do a really good uh um uh back in a box uh wine as well tom that you've only yeah. just been able to get hold of over here i mean i obviously got here is that because you know because you i've no, I've got people on the ground i've got people yeah. who send me that stuff well, contraband some would say but i just do i just take my my wine writing a little bit more seriously i go underground yeah. What about sources? Well, I wouldn't go too far underground. No, no, no. Tend to grow on, on, and the Fitu uh, region is renowned for its, um, it's, uh, it's quite unusual actually in the wine world because it's renowned for its really hot nights and cold days. Hell fucking surprise. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we did mention the musketeers. If you like Armagnac as much as us, I'm sure it's only a matter of time before we become musketeers. Ben, maybe yeah. not. Jesus um, Christ, we've done enough. Yeah, we've banged on about that stuff for years. We've written about it in every book we've written about. And I've written, I wrote for French Magazine, The Telegraph, I've The Guardian, The Telegraph, Imbibe, Publican, Off Please, news. can I be a musketeer? I <laughs> this don't really is a cry care, for help. I mean, if I'm not getting it, <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, I'm, I've, I've, I remember writing an entire chapter on uh, Omniac cocktails in my cocktail book at the time. <laughs> no one was doing it. No one was doing Omniac cocktails. Just want to write about Armagnac, frankly. Uh, no, it's, it's brilliant, brilliant gear. Um, and, and the race actually went through 
uh, Aromatis, which is the home of Aramis in, in the Three Musketeers. But so this is proper musketeer territory uh, and they would have appreciated our affection, yeah. I'm sure. Well, that's why I think that's why I think I think the musketeer country, I think it's a cloak and dagger conspiracy by the French not to tell everyone how good it is. So I was drinking the De Rosa, uh, and as I said, it was a 12 year old. Um, highly recommend you check out De Rosa on the Whiskey mm -hmm. Exchange. Uh, the Whiskey Exchange has got loads of different Armagnacs, uh, so you can start at a reasonable entry yeah. price point or work your way all the way up to 500, 600 pound brandies. Uh, also, I think I would your, say this, Tom, that in terms of bang for your brandy buck i'd say if you because they don't have some of the marketing uh what's the word they don't have the sort of uh out. yeah they don't have the budget of the big of the, they the don't have the international guys. reach no so they yeah they, so they're... if you've got 50 quid to spend on a french brandy you'll get beautiful mm. cognac i'd say you probably would get a slightly better armagnac for that money? I don't know. It's a difficult... Well, no. What I'd say is you get a different product. Yeah. But what I'd say is this, that we're going to do cognac tomorrow and we're going to bang on about how much we love cognac, so I'm not going to be down on cognac anymore than I will on armagnac. But if this, what this podcast shows is you can have a Cremant de Lemu and, a, and an armagnac, a bass armagnac, and you could go around to someone's house who, likes, who will know about cognac and will know about champagne. And that's what sets this region apart. These yeah. are properly French little gems that you, other mm. people don't know too much and about. Your friends so, will just think you're so cool. Exactly. And let's be honest, that's, that's what, what this is what about. I, mean, I know. Just it's want to sit there and show off of upgrading your wife or husband to make yourself more socially acceptable, therefore being able to upgrade. Now, um, in the background of my picture, I've got a man called Thomas Gouche. And uh, mm -hmm. he's from Baron de Sigognac, uh, Bass Armagnac uh, producer. And here's a picture of him looking at the grapes. And as you can tell from his facial expression, he's taking it very seriously, which is a good... And then what have you, oh, you've got a man, a picture of a man with a barrel. Yeah, because they make their own barrels down there. They've got their yeah. Coopers as well. And they use a Gascony black oak as well, which is slightly different to what's going on in the Cognac region. They don't use this wood. So uh, just that guy looks like he's pretty serious as well so yeah. for all this quirkiness we've we've got two people there a, a carpenter cooper uh, and a winemaker odv specialist yeah who are just looking very serious because they're quirky but guys they take it seriously muck about. i've um, got another picture which i think i might have taken but it might be maybe not i can't remember it's such a long time ago it's some actual french people around the still with armagnac talking about armagnac and uh, it was, I think this was during a dinner in a shed, well, can only be described as a shed with a still mm. in it. And we had duck foie gras. And then for dessert, I'm not really, that really clogs you up, that stuff. But for dessert, it was prunes with um, armagnac uh, poured over the top of it, which shows you they know what they're talking about. They've taken... And just to see the... The prunes the with armagnac gets everything moving again. Good and there boys. we go. And I've got another picture just to finish that off. Funny fart pants. To see what might happen after you've had a lot well, of prunes. I don't think it's weird. Uh, let's I hope. It's, I think it's rain. 
Um, <laughs> okay, there we go. So uh, that's our tasting for this for this uh, podcast. Yeah, and I think we can all agree it's been spectacular. The racing yeah. was spectacular. The drinks lived up to it. And next we will have we'll talk a little bit about the rest day just because it's near near some interesting drinks regions yeah. and then we'll go into the, uh, the, the the next stages of the race where i'm sure it will come alive again hopefully it continues with the coronavirus uh, follow us on social media facebook uh, strava. twitter instagram Down strava strava we've had a, a couple of people darren barrett on there followed us a lot of thank you darren also darren barrett very kindly he promoted uh, this podcast on uh, across his uh, vast social media accounts um, and he now, having done that, having tagged us in, he is now in the running for the Watney's Beer Cycling Top, which is a competition for that. It's, it's, oh, my God, it's getting from the it's guys getting... at Prendas Ciclismo. Um, yeah, it's on my hat there if you're watching yeah. the video. Prendas, they provide, and I keep saying hat. I think it's a cycling cap. They might even have mm-hmm. correct correctly there. Uh, but, or is it Belgium? Uh, what I love about it is, look, it's, these, these, they make these specially. They've got the green jersey, the polka dot jersey, and the yellow jersey all on one it's cycling a, yeah, cap. All, and it, Very clever. It really well complements your skin tones. I like it. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, just to go back, to be clear, I don't think we've been clear in the past. If you go on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, MySpace, any of the big ones, and say, we love this podcast, it's really good, listen to it, tag us in, you will automatically be entered into the competition to win a Watney's beer jersey worth £66.99 and a cap. So Andy. you can't Andy. say fair enough. Oh, well, Watney's Do cap. It, you get the Watney cap. Because otherwise, it's just, it's just being a hassle sorting it all out. Wicked. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, being Love my you. friend. And thank you for being a friend. Yeah. And uh, we'll, see you, we'll see you next time. Cheers. Au revoir.